Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to the next in our series of Journal Star Editorial Board interviews with at-large Peoria City Council candidates. I'm Chris Kiergaard, Journal Star Associate Editor. With us today is at-large City Councilwoman Beth Jensen. Hi. Beth, thank you for being here. Oh, you're welcome. Thanks for having me. Thank you. And I'm also joined by Journal Star Executive Editor Dennis Anderson. Good afternoon. Beth, you've been on the council now for uh, not quite five years, uh, or not quite six years, right? Uh, right. 2013, you were you were appointed. Um, why are you uh, running again, and uh, what makes you seek another term? Um, well, most importantly, because I love this city. Um, I think Peoria is a great place to live. Um, my husband and I actually aren't native Peorians and chose to live here 25 years ago. Um, to start a family and raise our family here. So I love the city, and I want to um, make it run better and be a place that um, kids like my two boys who are 15 and 17 want to come back and live. So that's one of the reasons. Um, another reason, I think I've been an important independent voice on the city council, um, always speaking up, asking tough questions when they're not being asked, um, and have tried really hard to make sure that the government um, runs in an open and transparent manner, that we have more public input before we make decisions, that um, all voices are considered, all stakeholders who have a stake and an interest in certain things that we're doing are heard. Um, and I think those are all very important things um, that I've advocated for, and I'll continue to do so if elected again. Okay. Uh, one of those instances where you're talking about getting more public input, uh, one of the questions that we asked in our questionnaire is about trying to spur business development in some of the underdeveloped areas of our city. Uh, and, and you talk about wanting more community neighborhood initiatives like the Help Shape West Main Street initiative that, that brought in people and voices and, and decided what to do with some of those spaces and what programs to pursue. What, what specific areas would you target for that in South Peoria or the East Bluff? Um, well, actually, I think um, the area on Wisconsin, um, across from Glen Oak School, although we've mm-hmm. had a little bit of development there, I think that's prime for the same type of thing that we did on West Main Street in Sheridan. Mm-hmm. Um, you already have some interested uh, stakeholders, people that are pretty um, active in their neighborhood. Um, You've got the East Bluff Community Center and their neighborhood association. You have the Boys and Girls Club there, mm-hmm. a couple of businesses, the school. And and that's kind of how we started out with the West um, Main Street um, initiative that we um, started a couple years ago. We got um, neighbor, neighbors to come, business owners to come, and we had meetings. I participated in those. We brainstormed. We came up with different ideas and tried them out. Some worked, some didn't. Um, some move forward. And so I think that's a prime place um, for that sort of initiative, as well as um, some different areas on the south side. Hey, what, what south side areas do you um, think are prime for that? You know, I think even though the only thing there is is the around MacArthur, mm-hmm. um, where, you, where you turn to go to Lincoln Library, that mm-hmm. kind of, I guess, that little corridor there, mm-hmm. I think that would be a good place. You know, um, that's where SCUC, the south side 
Community United for Change. Um, mm. It's an organization that meets there monthly at the Lincoln Library. I attend those meetings, and um, a lot of the people that attend those meetings, several of them live right around that area, So, and they're active already in the neighborhood, in the city. I think that would be a prime location. Um, they currently have um, on that corner, I think it's, it's, I think it's Green Lawn. It might be Lincoln. There's a corner there where the last couple of years they've decorated an evergreen tree there and had Christmas mm-hmm. carols. Yeah. Um, you know, so there's already some activity there. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not that far from Manual High School as well. Um, and I think that that's ripe. It's where, you know, unfortunately we lost the grocery store. Um, and now that we have Southside Mission going in there with the store, you know, there is at least a little bit of activity and business there along with the dollar store across the street. So you already have some businesses there along with um, the meat market that's down there. Um, So I think that would be a good place to start. Okay. Um, You brought up the grocery store, which is also on on my list to talk about, because it it feels almost as though these last couple of months, that's faded away. And and we just passed the one-year anniversary last week of, of those stores closing down. What is is not being done that ought to be by the city in, in terms of, of trying to get a grocery store back in the south side, or, or have we reached the limits of, of what City Hall can do well, there? I don't think we've reached the limits. One of the things I've been um, talking about on the campaign trail and that I think we should explore are the new um, opportunity zones, you know, that just mm-hmm. recently yeah. um, the the statutes were passed to allow us to do that. We have a short window to use them. But I think that opportunity zones could be used on the south side or the east bluff or even, you know, the west bluff where there isn't a grocery store um, to spur maybe some initiative with a with a grocery store, maybe a smaller type size grocery store, but to provide some incentives, some tax relief, those kinds of things. I don't think that's been offered. Um, and I think that is that might be the way to get a grocery store here. I mean, you're probably aware of all the problems, the low margins. Mm-hmm. We got to make sure people shop there um, and not shop online. And you know, I, we need a grocery store, but I'm not quite sure what else to do. We, I support the the new one that opened up, um, Sous Chef. Mm-hmm. On Southwest Adams, you know, when Save a Lot was there, we made an effort, my husband and I, to always stop there when we needed milk and, and um, vegetables and you know, quick things because mm-hmm. we don't live too far from there. Right. Just um, just down the hill, yeah, yeah, just up the hill, just mm-hmm. a few, you know, probably a half mile away. So, um, you know, I think they're important. And we've been without a grocery store where I live in the West Bluff. We haven't mm-hmm. had a grocery store since since um, Sullivan's closed, yeah, or, or Thompson's Food mm-hmm. Basket yeah. closed, and then it was a Save a Lot and. So it's been over ten years, mm-hmm. um, and we don't. So we don't have a grocery store. We have to drive up north, um, and it is a problem. And I, I think the city should do, try to do more to help make it happen. We talk a little bit about the budget. Sure. <laughs> um, <it laughs> One of my a, favorite topics. Yeah, it was, a, it was a difficult negotiations. <laughs> yeah. I think that that went on. Yeah. Lost some jobs. Um, some new fees were instituted. And people aren't really happy about. Um, where were you at the end of that in terms of um, were you satisfied with where things go? What went right? What went wrong? Um, actually, I was, I, you know, I did not vote in favor of the budget. I was disappointed. Um, during the budget discussions, I came up with several alternatives to the property fee and to eliminating the 22 or ultimately the 18 firefighter positions. Um, one of the things I proposed was, uh, reducing some of the contributions that we make to outside organizations. 
Um, I think when we're facing a $7 million budget deficit, we shouldn't be um, spending, we shouldn't be paying for the municipal band, although that's a great program. I think we should be trying to find a private donor or, or two to mm-hmm. support that. Um, I also proposed re, um, reducing the amount of money that we were giving to the Peoria Area Convention and Visitors Bureau. Our budget included $571,000 or $572,000 to that organization, along with the additional money that we provide to the Civic Center. You know, just a few years ago, they were connected and it was one lump sum. Now we're paying more to both. And I think when we're $7 million in the hole, that should be reduced. So I propose reducing that in half. I also proposed um, putting half as much into our reserve fund. Um, when you're $7 million in the hole and you haven't been funding the reserve fund, I don't think we should have been putting $2 million in this past budget cycle. I agreed and proposed that we keep the same 10-year goal, but gradually increase the amount that we put into the reserve fund to reach that goal as we get back on our feet and not the year that we're facing $7 million deficits. Um, other things that I also proposed was looking into was reducing salaries of management employees for anyone that uh, made over $100,000. I proposed that we reduce their salaries by $10,000. Um, I know that's not politically popular, but I mean, that's what businesses do. And I think that we, sh- we should do more of that in the upcoming budget cycle. We've never done this since I've been on the council, but I think we need to go line by line by line through everything in our budget as a council and prioritize them and decide, is this something we should be funding? Um, And if so, how much? And and I think all the council should rank things because, you know, we we can't keep doing what we're doing. Um, I mean, the the revenues Mm -hmm. are are still not going up with our sales tax declining and our pension obligations. Um, so I, I was not satisfied with the budget. And I do think that there's other things that we should have done and that we can do in the future. I want to ask you about the the $10,000 reductions for those making more than $100,000 a year. I, I did a quick look through the the pay sheets for 2017, the last year publicly available, and it, it looks to be only about 25 positions that, that are non-overtime earning, management level, non-union positions that that, that would affect, mm-hmm. which, which seems like an, an awfully small amount of money that, that would be saved. Right. By well, the reason why I made that proposal, I think maybe long-term it should be across the board, but I know... You, with my experience um, representing municipalities and school mm-hmm. districts, you can't make a union do that. You have to negotiate it. Mm-hmm. So the only way you negotiate that, though, is you have to do it first. Management mm-hmm. needs to do it first and then can go to the table mm-hmm. um, and see if they can negotiate that with some of the other unions. So mm-hmm. um, the city manager did put a cost on my proposal, mm-hmm. and it would have saved, it was about $400,000, okay. a little over $400,000. Okay. I- a, sort of a, a related question to that, as you look at the, the positions that are out there that are overtime eligible, that are, are union member positions, it, we've got people who are, are police lieutenants and fire battalion chiefs who are, are union members who are in, in supervisory command level positions there. Do, do we go too high on, on the band for some of those positions for them to be overtime eligible and, and making well over $100,000 a year and, and you know a large chunk of percentage-wise their base salary in overtime every year? Yeah, the, I, don't, I don't necessarily agree 
with with your your statement and I think part of it too is it's set by it's set by the Illinois Municipal Code. I don't think that we have that much leeway in changing um, whether they're, they 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 can be in a bargaining unit mm-hmm. or not. Um, so I don't even think that that's something okay. that so it's that's not, not anything that can be right. And I don't resolved. think I think mm-hmm. it's also something that's out of the city's control. Okay, at least with regards to the public safety mm-hmm. um, positions at the city fire and police because they are mm-hmm. so statutorily driven. All right. Uh, another thing that, that you had mentioned uh, in, in looking at some of these fees that were imposed, uh, you discussed the, the idea of uh, either uh, reducing some of the burden on that by charging uh, not-for-profits and, and, and potentially others costs for the city coming and and responding with with fire department personnel mm-hmm. for it, what I'm gonna gonna call the help I fall and I can't get up kinds of calls that they have both at, at nursing homes as, as well as hospitals do you have an estimate for how much that would bring in that, no I, we, we didn't get an estimate when um, I did bring that up during the budget discussions mm-hmm. and that was also a proposal I, I made that we should do that as an alternative mm-hmm. to the property pension fee that the mm-hmm. majority of the council passed. You know, my thought was if the, if that really truly is the, the rationale for adopting that, what we call, what they called the public pension mm-hmm. fee is to get um, some of the costs paid for by the nonprofits mm-hmm. for their fair share of the public safety costs. Um, then let's call it really what it is, a public safety fee, and do what I asked, you know, the city manager to look at. And in fact, we were on the council floor, and I was looking it up on my phone, mm-hmm. but there are other cities across the country that do that, and they just charge a fee to nonprofits mm-hmm. for, uh, you know, part of call. their, yeah, part mm-hmm. of their costs of, like, fire and police and other um mm-hmm public safety services that the cities provide. Now, the Corporation Council questioned it and said it wasn't sure that that would be um, per- legally mm-hmm. permissible or constitutional, and he'd have to look into it. But I think I was talking about doing that as an alternative mm-hmm. for the fee that was right. being charged mm-hmm. against everyone. Mm-hmm. Um, and I do think it's worth exploring. I also um, brought up what during those discussions um, asked the city manager if you know we could direct him and if he'd be willing to just sit down with some of the bigger nonprofit organizations, the hospitals and Bradley, and negotiate some kind of fee with them as an alternative to the property pension fee. In private conversations I've had with um, the the president of of Bradley, he's he said he'd be open to that. To sitting down mm-hmm. and negotiating a fee, and, and you know, mm-hmm. presumably because he's looked at the number of times yeah, he has ambulances in, out in his mouth, but he <laughs> said, "Yeah, we would look at that and be willing mm-hmm. to mm-hmm. explore that." So I think those kinds of things um, would have been a better way to handle that issue. Mm-hmm. I, I also got to ask, what's the compelling reason to have our public safety personnel going out? To a call like that, that an ambulance is going to get to where there doesn't appear to be an imminent danger to somebody, that it is clearly just a simple, I've fallen and I can't get up call. Why Why are we sending an entire fire engine company out to that? Well, and, and I, that's that's a good question. And that is one of the reasons why we hired um, a consultant. The, the Fitch Group is mm-hmm. doing an analysis of all of our emergency um, service provi- pro- all the emergency services that mm-hmm. we provide, and we're waiting for a final report to come back. And it will. It, they're looking at that, as well as a number of other things, including our e, um, 
our emergency response, um, the 911 mm-hmm. team, and whether things could be more efficient or whether they're efficient enough or we should and should not be doing certain things. So I'm waiting to look at and see what that report says. Okay, and that report seems to be overdue by at least a couple of months. Yes. Um, I'm not sure what the holdup is um, because I think they were here in the late fall. Mm-hmm. And then I do know that they were they were back meeting with people at City Hall, I, I want to say, I think it was in December. Mm-hmm. So hopefully in this first quarter we'll get that report back. Speaking of being delayed, we a couple of years ago we had um, some people in from Washington to looking at the city and its race issues and had um, community meetings across the, the city. Um, and a lot of people came up and showed up for those. We haven't had a report. Is that come that's out the since. neighborhood national resource network? Yeah. 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 And and I don't and I was and I was actually disappointed. I was out of town the week or, mm-hmm. that they were here on vacation, so I I didn't get a chance to meet with them. And I'm not sure that's a good question. That's something um, that we should follow up on. I don't know what happened. Um, I think we may have gotten an initial report, mm-hmm. the whole community, but mm-hmm. um, I am not. I honestly don't know what happened with all of that. But but small group meeting, you know, large group meetings, and then small right. group meetings came out of that. And if if you took me into a room with a swinging light bulb overhead and, and told me that I needed to tell you exactly what City Hall had done after those small group meetings, I'd have to confess that I had no earthly idea what the city's next step was after those small group meetings. And that was with the it wasn't it's the neighborhood what was it called the national national resource network yeah 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 mm-hmm. I'm not that's a good question mm-hmm. I just made a note to do a follow up. Um, yeah. Because I'm not sure whatever what happened to that. Well, then the city hosted their own too. They, they mm-hmm. had hundreds of people right. at them, and yeah, I don't no, know. No, if, nothing if, happened after if that. If you either. notice in my response to one of the questions mm-hmm. that you asked about um, the you know Wall Street, what is it called? Twenty four seven. Twenty four seven report. That was one of the things that I mentioned is that you know we hosted those community meetings, which were so well attended, mm-hmm. and then broke off into smaller groups, and I attended um, some of the meetings of the smaller group of the Justice Reform Group mm-hmm. um, and the housing one, and that was one of the things I said, we need to um, reinstitute those, and because um, there, there were a lot of community members that participated and had great ideas, and and get a report back, and 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 because we really dropped the ball, I think the city did, and um you know, that's partly our fault. We need to stay on top of the city manager and all the things that he's doing. Um, but I think that's that's one of the ways to address, you know, that article and then and then the recent article. Um, we need mm-hmm. to have community meetings and we need to come up with some plans um, and, and move forward and implement them. One of the other elements I, I would say that's an obstacle for the city there is getting people in neighborhoods, and I'm calling them neighborhoods that aren't visibly affected by some of these concerns, mm-hmm. where you can go outside and, and not feel as though you have a lack of investment in the community, getting people who live in those neighborhoods to have a buy-in and recognize the effect this has on the entire city. Mm-hmm. What what can City Hall be doing better? What do you think you're going to try to do if you're reelected to get people in those areas to care and buy in to city government needing to tackle this. I mean, maybe, I mean, part of it is having meetings on, on these issues in those neighborhoods. I mean, every time we've had um, meetings on these issues, it's been 
downtown or on the south side. Mm-hmm. I mean, we need to have them in um, the fifth district and in the fourth district. And maybe, you know, one of the things I was thinking is have it at the high school too. Have it, you know, mm-hmm. a lot of the kids that go to Richwood's high school are from all over the city. Mm-hmm. And it's a very, and that's actually a very diverse community. If you're familiar with, with Richwood's mm-hmm. now, it, it's probably one of the most racially, socially, geographically diverse high schools in the entire country, or at least in the entire state, I'd say. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I think that would be a good place to start. Um, have a meeting there and invite all of the parents um, who live all over the city um, to this meeting and get discussions going and have them be part mm-hmm. of it. What I'm hearing a lot, yeah. from, and we've been talking with yeah. the community for over five years, meet monthly. Um, we have another meeting on Wednesday, right, Boys right. and Girls Club, uh, is that talk. That's all yeah, we do is time. talk. And they're saying, When's, when are we going to start having, who, own, who owns the change? Who, who, is, who should be the person who, or people who hear what the problems are and come up with a course for change? Who should be owning that? I, I mean, I think it, part of it is the city. Um, but like you said, but shouldn't all the other stakeholders be part of it? people that live in the communities. So I don't know, do we form it? But we have so many other, all these organizations and all these different, um, you know, silos. We don't want to do that. So I, I think the city has to take some of the Who is the city? Well, that that's a good question. Mm-hmm. Well, And I think I mentioned this in my answer. I think, you know, we do have an opportunity with it. We have a, a, a phenomenal new diversity officer. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is connected to his mission and his experience. And I think that he could be the head of it and spearhead it and help lead the whole city and the community in finding solutions and implementing them, like you said, not just talk about them. Um, One thing I did think of, one thing I do want to say is, you know, the city is doing, has done little things, at least with regard to the whole issue of, of whether or not of the segregation and the high unemployment and the high poverty in certain areas of the city. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a huge problem. And one of the solutions is getting more um, investment, more jobs. And the city is doing little things. Now, they're not huge, but like the Green Corps or the Peoria Job Corps, mm-hmm. you know, which is connected to our CSO pilot project. I mean, I've gone to the graduations of, of the Green Corps, and they've gra- we've graduated three classes of 10 or more, and they were all um, uh, individuals who live in 61605 who don't have jobs, who are, you know, who've had trouble getting jobs. They were given training. They give them soft skill training and then job training and, um, like, green um, cleanup things, environmental things, how to, you know, clean up weeds, cut cut grass, cut trees, and, and that kind of thing. And all the, the members of, I think, almost every single class now has, has a job somewhere else. Some of them still along that field. A couple of them got, went to ICC now and are, um, expo- you know, pursuing their, their education. But so that that's a small initiative, but I think the city needs to expand that initiative a- along with the Wells Farm initiative on the south side. That also, you know, has an urban ag um, apprentice program, and we've done the same thing where we've taken a group of individuals who live in impoverished areas of, of Peoria who didn't have jobs, and then we've trained them on how to be um, urban agriculturalists, how to you know grow food and flowers, and then they've sold them down at the riverfront market. you know, and also along with that training tra- taught them soft skills 
those types of programs, even though they're little, they could be expanded and we need to do more of them. Another program that I've been asking the city manager about that I've done some research on is a program called Jumpstart, which is started in Baltimore, Maryland. And now they've also done one in Cincinnati. And actually how I found out about it, it was featured on the program Our House. Um, and what it, it does is it takes um, individuals who usually have criminal records. A lot of them are recovering addicts. And it matches them up in this program with construction trades um, and and contractors. And they provide them intense training, first soft skills, then job training, and have employed them. And they've been very successful in Baltimore and Cincinnati. And I think that's something. And they've worked mainly with contractors to get it set up. And, of course, you have to get grants and funding to do it. But I think that's something worth exploring. The city also has been working with the NAACP um, and the, the building trades um, to get more minorities and people that live in uh, poorer neighborhoods, um, apprenticeships and jobs, and 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 they and they've have focused on going out to the community and to job fairs and and, and getting um, people like that involved because I th- I think that's partly where you start is helping um, provide training and increase employment. We're coming off of a a year, as you well know, that had a a recent record-tying number of homicides in the city of Peoria. Uh, What more ought the police department or the city be doing to combat that? One one of your retiring at-large colleagues has suggested uh, city police need to move over to a stop-and-frisk policy. Uh, I want to take your your temperature on, on how you feel about that notion, but what else should the city be doing? Um, I don't think that's the answer, number one. Um, I, I think that um, the city needs to uh, – the other thing is we don't, um, we don't fix the problem by cutting um, whatever it was, six to nine mm-hmm. um, police patrol officers, the vacancies that we didn't fill. Mm-hmm. I mean, we were coming off of, like you said, one of the highest years of shootings and homicides, and we've already had three this year. Mm-hmm. So I think that's a problem. Um, other things that we need to do, I think, if if we can, if we can find the funding, um, we need to have more police in the communities. I mean, our mm-hmm. residential resident officer programs have been successful, but we need more of them. Mm-hmm. We need the police on the streets and in the neighborhoods. Um, I think we also need to work on building community relationships. Um, I think we need to work with groups like Terry Burnside's outreach group and support what he's doing. You know, he and his volunteers are on the street and in the areas where they have been, Mm -hmm. there hasn't been any shootings. Um, uh, Something that I've been thinking about and have have been talking about doing, you know, my background, I was, um, I started out as a legal services attorney at Cabrini Green Legal Aid Clinic. Mm -hmm. And I was there in 1992 when Dan Charles Davis got shot. And that was when they had had all these shootings and all these homicides. And after, and this was a little boy that got shot on his way to school from um, a gang member who was up in the high rise. When that happened, and I attended the community meetings, and they were filled with with gang members and and people that live there and work there. They did a ceasefire in Chicago, and it actually, if you go back and look at it, it actually worked. I think for you know more than a year, it's like nine months or even more. It was nine months before they had another shooting. But they also then collected guns and had a, a, a period of time where you could turn in your guns, no questions asked to the police. Mm-hmm. I think those are all things that are worth exploring right now mm-hmm. in the city. And I've actually um, 
been talking with Terry Burnside and some other people that are on the streets and work with the with gang members and 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 the kids that are involved in these crimes. And I think that those are things that are worth exploring. Mm-hmm. Now, didn't um, we do a gun buyback program a couple of years ago? I'm not aware if we did. I, I, I thought there was one that was spearheaded by by pastors in the community. And, and I'm not sure mm-hmm. if we did. And maybe it's time to to try that again now that mm-hmm. we're having this this um, this outbreak of violence. You know, I, I'm very concerned about it. Um, I think we have to support um, the PCAV, um, which is doing a better. You know, they have a new board. They're doing new things. They're working with Crime Stoppers, and they're trying to partner with other community organizations. Mm-hmm. We have to do that. But n- number one, we have to admit that it's a problem. Um, you know, Shot Spotter or whatever isn't going to solve mm-hmm. all of our crime. Um, and we need to do something more. Mm-hmm. As far as, as finding new officers and, and particularly resident officers, I, I want to ask you two things about that. One, would you support incentives for having more officers live in the city? We obviously can't yes. require, demand it, but would you support in a new contract incentivizing oh, living definitely. in the city? Oh, definitely. I, I would mm-hmm. definitely support that. Um, a program that the city used to have that um, I'm aware of just because it was after I worked at the city, but... Um, we had an officer in our neighborhood, you know, I live over in Moss Bradley, mm-hmm. and they used to have a, a program where it wasn't an incentive, but the city provided down payment assistance to officers that would move and live in the older neighborhoods mm-hmm. in the city, and, and, and then they were committed to staying there. And we had an officer who lived, um, I think it was on Barker, for more than five years. It could have been close mm-hmm. to 10, and that was part of that same program um, that was probably in effect maybe... I don't want to show my age 15 years ago, maybe 20. Um, but I think that, that those are very important things that the city should start doing again. And, and two, if, if, we're, if we need to have more officers, where do we find the money to pay for them? And to pay for the the houses that they're going to live in, and and to pay for the incentives for them to live within the city. Where do we find the cash to I do mean, that? that? That's that's the million dollar question. Maybe we reduce um, the money that we give to the Korea Area and Convention and Visitors Bureau by half. I mean, I think that would pay for at least one officer, mm-hmm. uh, would pay for an officer and a, and, a, and mm-hmm. a down payment on a house. Um, and that's important too, you know, with our resident officer program. You know, now we, we're we're starting to take we're taking old houses that are vacant, like mm-hmm. the one, you know, on the near north side. And and that's another thing that I've you know always been involved in and advocating for is saving the old houses. And mm-hmm. um, you can combine the two and solve two problems, which is important. And I think we should do more of it. But you're right; the mm-hmm. million dollar question is where do we get the money? Mm-hmm. It's a question. For- for everything, yes. It is. Mm-hmm. I just have a couple of more things before we, we wrap up. You have thoughts on moving to a more committee-based system yeah. for the council, going back to, to the way it had been previously. Mm-hmm. What, what's what's the value to that well, you know, with, with 10 people and the number of questions that you have coming into a meeting now versus the other way? Well, one of the, the re- reasons, I, you know, I keep thinking about one of the one of the things about being on the city council i mean you see there's a there's a there's a a group that sort of controls a lot of what goes on and there's the seven. there's several of us on the council that sometimes we don't know um what's happening till the you know till we get the agenda the thursday or friday before the meeting i mean not everybody's in the loop and my big thing is let's stop doing backroom deals you know let's have everything be open and transparent and when we used to have that kind of a system you know, council members were assigned to different areas and committees. Like 
whether it was housing or finance mm -hmm. or um, I know there were other areas. But then that council person is who all those ideas come to host those meetings. Like, for example, um, with, the, with you know, the, that article that came out, one of the big things that came out of that article that people are talking about and that I've been pushing for is we need an affordable housing policy. Mm -hmm. You know, that's why I insisted and kept asking for, and we finally had a policy session. It was last March, but mm -hmm. now that's almost a year ago. And we still haven't worked out a plan or a policy or a program. And we need a comprehensive plan on affordable housing. So why don't we have that be a task force or something that one or two of us are on, and then you have the stakeholders that are involved with affordable housing that live in the neighborhoods and start developing a plan. I'm, I'm advocating doing that so that um, the city's business is everybody's business on the city council and also the public. I think it's a better way of running the government um, um, instead of having one, two, or three, you know, controlling the agenda and um, everything that happens, you've got more representation and more representative government. And and to me that that it's it's better government and that that's what I'm all about is trying to make the city run better, make the city a better city, and make city government How have better. You, why can't you convince your colleagues? Well, you know, I actually have just been thinking about this. I haven't brought it forward. I just um, mm -hmm. actually the, I put it to pen and paper and um, that response. I've just sort of been thinking about that the last month or two, and I think it it, it could be really beneficial. So it's something I'm I'm advocating for and will push for um, if I'm reelected. Okay. Uh, I want to ask you, too, in, in your questionnaire, you, you seem to be in favor of, of potentially considering reducing council salaries along with the, the reduce everybody below 100000 or mm -hmm. ab above 100000 mm -hmm. as part of a, a symbolic gesture on the part of the council because you, right. you guys do not make very much money for, for what you do. Uh, you reject the idea, though, of, of removing the health care benefit mm -hmm. for council members, which uh, those savings might be, be equally symbolic since there were only three or four of you on the council who were taking advantage of that out of, out of 11. What's the difference between the two, and, and why are you taking, or did you take in 2017, the, the city health care? Okay, double, double question. First, um, the, the reason why... Um, the difference between the two is mm -hmm. if I'm proposing and advocating, which I have, a reduction of um, salary, mm -hmm. um, even though it's for anybody making over $100,000, and we certainly, I think, only make, I think, 16000 Something like or, that. Yeah, yeah. a year. Um, I'm not opposed to, if, if the city council were to adopt um, that proposal to then the council mm -hmm agreeing to reduce their salary by 10000 Like you said, I mean, it, that's consistent then with what we're asking people um, in the upper levels of um, management to do. Mm -hmm. um, with regards to the, the benefits, I mean, I, I said that on the floor. First, it was only going to be a $27,000 um, savings, according to the city manager, af if we did it for all 11 of us. Mm -hmm. um, the the proposal at the time was only to do it for the five mm -hmm. at-large people. Um, so it wasn't a huge cost savings. Um, it wasn't going to have any real mm -hmm. impact on our $7 million deficit. So I kind of felt like I think uh, Councilman Grab called it an election gimmick, um, and I tend to agree with him. I, that, that's what it kind of felt like it was. 
Um, but I also think it's important for us to have people on the council that are from all walks of life, and it should mm-hmm. not be um, – you shouldn't have to be independently wealthy, um, you know, and able to have your own health insurance and salary to mm-hmm. serve on the, the city council. Um, many of us on the council work mm-hmm. in addition, you know, have other jobs in addition to um, being on the city council, but but some of us are self-employed. Some have had to move to part-time because partly because of the commitment that the city council is. So I, I didn't want to remove make that a, a barrier to people who otherwise couldn't afford to be on the city council. Okay. Uh, and uh, you've alluded to some of this in, in some of your, your previous answers, but of course the council has one employee that reports directly to the council, and, and that's the city manager. What's your assessment of, of the work that Patrick Yurick is doing? Um, Patrick, he's he has done he's a very good job in, in some areas. He's you know he's very knowledgeable on um, finances, um, municipal government, um, even you know economic development. A lot of areas he has a lot of expertise in. Um, I think he sometimes he needs to do a better job communicating with all of the council. Um, For example, um, sometimes I feel like we don't get all the information that we should. Um, An example of that would be the recent, um, how we recently found out that the recycling was going to change from um, alley side to curbside for people living in the older neighborhoods that already had um, recycling. Um, and mm-hmm. garbage pickup on their alleys. Um, when that came to my attention, I think it was in December, um, a citizen found out about it and, and mm-hmm. um, contacted me. I was totally surprised, didn't know about it. Um, so went to the city manager and the director of public works at the time, Scott Reese, and they said, mm-hmm. well, we're, 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 Scott said we're working and talking with PDC. We're not sure what's going to happen yet. So, you know, I thought it was under the impression that they were still being negotiated. Mm -hmm. And then um, I went back and looked, and I brought this up at the last council meeting, all of our communications on um, the RFP and the eventual contract that we um, approved. Patrick highlighted the differences in services Mm -hmm. that this contract provides compared to what we were currently providing. And I went through the, and I brought this up and I even had it with me, the PowerPoint that he did summarizing Mm -hmm. the changes, the agenda item. And then we had a um, term offer with everything highlighted, what the changes Mm -hmm. in services were, what the offer was um, to PDC. And there was nothing mentioned in there that there would be a Mm -hmm. a change from... Even though the contract did explicitly make well, that change, right? But, but see, and this was the problem, too. What we didn't do as a council, now looking back at it, I think was a mistake. We didn't have the actual contract to approve. If you go back and look at it, mm-hmm. all we had was... It, it, it wasn't attached to No, the, no, no. All we had was the term offer, was the, the terms mm-hmm. of the offer, and those highlighted. Mm-hmm. And then the actual action that the city took was to, was to approve those terms and um, direct or give the city manager the authority to finalize a contract with PDC based on those terms. So, you know, I mean, in a way I feel like not intentionally, but we were 
not given the full story. Mm-hmm. Or maybe the full story changed when he you know, finalized the agreement, but we never got a report back or we're never advised that this is going to this is going to change. And when it affects 24, it's 2400 um property owners, that's a big deal, especially when, you know, one of my primary goals I brought up years ago was when we start negotiating and looking for um, a new garbage contract. I mean, I'm bringing this up now. I think I brought it up four years in advance, five years. I want us to look at more recycling. That was a big priority Mm -hmm. for me. I want to reduce the cost. They shouldn't have to pay for it and have it more often. And that was a big priority of all the council based on um, the surveys that we got from the public. And so that was a big part of this contract. And so they he touted that, oh, we've increased recycling subscribers by 3,000, like two weeks before we found out about this change. And now the, I'm hearing from mo- the majority of the people if that of those 2,400 who are current recyclers, they're not going to recycle anymore. So what's the point of getting 3,000 more when you're going to lose mm-hmm. 1,000 or more? Mm-hmm. So... Um, and I, I'm go- so that's just an example. Things like that um, frustrate me, mm-hmm. um, and the city manager needs to do a better job at communicating um, when major changes like that happen in something um, as important as the garbage contract. Mm-hmm. I, on on a fair number of, of issues where the council is split, I think you would agree with me. It, it tends to be seven four. Council, maybe sometimes a six-five council. Mm-hmm. On on many of those issues, you have not been on the prevailing end right. of, of those things. How do you, in a new term, uh, become more effective at convincing people to vote with you on, on some of these things that we've talked about today? Well, I, I, hopefully, I'm hopeful that we may have um, a little bit of a different makeup. Of the city council, you know, we have a lot of people running this time around and, you know, attending these forums, there's a real mood, um, maybe just like nationally for change. And I think if we change the makeup by the council by one or two um, during or even more um, during this election um, and then even in two years, I think that I, I hope and I, I think I don't think I'll be in the minority uh, most of the time, and I'll be more effective. Mm-hmm. Even though I'm, I am in the minority, I think I, I, I um, am effective in the way that I bring things forward that otherwise might not be talked about on the floor. Asking questions, I, I, I guess I'm sort of um, filling the shoes of my predecessor, whose seat I was appointed, <laughs> who you know is Gary Sandberg. Mm-hmm. And I always used to joke, you know, I might do go about it a little bit differently, um, and maybe be. Um, I don't know, a little more polite, but I I have noticed over the years I've become a little bit stronger and a little bit more vocal. And I do feel like, um, wait a minute, I have a question. And I'm kind of feeling like um, Gary Sandberg at some points, and that's not a bad thing. That's an important um, voice to have on the city council. Mm -hmm. And I guess philosophically, since you kind of opened the door to it, if if you're talking about the the value of of some some change this cycle and electing some different people, you also favor keeping a a five districts, five at large, Mm -hmm. and presumably the the bullet voting that goes along with that, that, that's almost... 
Well, yeah, we, mm. the, the question didn't relate to the bullet voting, but it was mm. just about whether the the, the makeup the at large yeah. should move to districts. Mm. And and I think I pointed out in my answer, I actually think that having five at large district people, I mean, five at large people in addition to the district mm-hmm. council members, has been a benefit to the citizens. Um, over the years, you know, I get involved in a lot of issues when, um, you know, for various reasons, uh, a district council person maybe hasn't been responsive to a, a, na- a resident of their district and then and help too, to, mm-hmm. to make projects better or to solve the problem. And um, I think that's important. And we have a unique um, perspective when you represent the entire city than when you just represent your small district that I think is important and that brings another um, voice to the council that I think has been important at least since I've been on the council. Okay. Final question to wrap up. Voters have a choice to make on the 26th in just a couple of weeks, and then they've got another choice to make on April 2nd if if you make it through into the, the runoff. Mm-hmm. Why you and instead of the other 13 candidates? Um Good question. <laughs> no, I, I am a very. I've been a very strong independent voice um, that I think is important. Like I've said here a, a few times, I'm not afraid to stand up to entrenched interest, ask important questions, make sure that the city business is done in an open and transparent manner. I have also been a voice. You know, I like to say a voice for all, whether it's you know uh, the a single mom on the south side or a small business owner who offers Sterling in the 4th District or um, a couple that lives in the 5th District that's concerned about the roundabout near their um, being built near their house. Um, I have made sure that everybody's voices are heard. I've brought them forward. I've also demanded on a number of big issues that we have public meetings with public input, whether it's the Riverfront Trail Apartments, um, the budget meetings that I pushed for that we had throughout the district, um, having the budget challenge and the budget mm, I surveys. I missed that this last year. Those were I did too. And part of that, I think, was it wasn't done because we had the mid-year budget mm. crisis. And I'm going to push that we do those again. Um, there has been some criticism that we don't get a lot of attendance, so we have to do a better way of getting the word out and getting people there. Um, and, you know, I've, I've pushed doing those. Actually, you know, one of the controversial thing was the Maine and University project. But I always go back. That was when I first got on the council and Councilman Grab and Akison And I made sure and worked with the new director at the time, uh, Michael Rogers, um, and assistant director at the time, Scott Reese, to have these public meetings to help with the give input on the design of the project. We had over 100 people three different times at Bradley. And so when people complain about that, I said, but we had a lot of public input, and that design was done based on that input. And now we've continued to do that on road projects. On Forest Hill, we did the same thing. Mm -hmm. On the Harvard Street project, we've done it for Pioneer Parkway. So, And we even did it for um, the roundabouts on um, Allen Road. So having public input is important. Um, and we did it to the new construction on Willow Knowles and Allen. If you remember, we had a big public meeting there too. And 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 I like to think that's partly from me um, pushing and advocating for us to do that. And I think that makes better um, decisions and better um, better policies and better projects. I know I'm kind of going um, way too long here, but there's a number of reasons. If 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 the citizens have liked my voice on the council. 
um, they need to keep me on the council. They need to vote for me. All right. Thank you very much. At-large City Councilwoman Beth Jensen, good luck in the election. Thank you. Thank you. Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts.